morning, Tuesday Church. How are we doing today? Good. So good to see you. Glad that you're here. Uh, did anybody bring their piece of broken pottery with them today? Okay, we'll bring it next week. Keep it with you. Hey, listen, we're in the series called Cracked Pots, and it's based on 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, which says, For we now have this treasure in fragile clay jars. And we talked about last week how uh, if you were to see how a clay jar was formed, it would somebody would go out into the uh, get clay out of the ground and they would take it to a potter and the potter would fashion that clay and then take the, the whatever they fashioned and, and put it into a kiln where it would be fired up and hardened and then you would take it out as it dry after it dries and you'd be able to use it. But like anything, if you've had kids or uh, siblings or a spouse or somebody in your life, you know that people tend to have accidents. And if you drop that clay pot or if you bang it against the side of a door, what happens? It cracks or it breaks or a piece of it falls off. And the whole thing is, is that we are like those fragile clay jars and our lives have cracks and we have scars and we have hurts that are deep. And um, God wants to use those today because he's put this precious treasure. Next week, we're going to talk about that treasure, what that is. Anybody like Indiana Jones? Yes. yes. Greatest movie ever made. 1989 was Indiana Jones and the last crew Say good. Somebody out there, one person has it. So um, go home and watch that this week because X never, ever marks the spot. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. So today we're going to talk about the, the next part, the first part of chapter 4 in Second Corinthians and what it has to say about light and darkness. Because the purpose of light is to illuminate, right? Let me ask you a question. If you think about the word light, L-I-G-H-T, not L-I-T-E, but light, what kind of words come to your mind? Go ahead, why don't you go ahead and share that with the person next to you. When you think about light, what kind of words come to your mind? Maybe words like powerful, revealing, comforting, right? Uh, when we think about light, we think about safety. We think about warmth. We think about invitation. Uh, there was a book written by a professor from Virginia Tech University several years ago who was a professor of history that was entitled, At Day's Close, Night and Times Past. And this book just chronicled how people um, lived with and what they thought about the all-encompassing darkness of night before the advent of the gas lantern, the gas lights, or the electric lights. Anybody around in 1920? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, sometimes we feel like it, but maybe your parents were or your grandparents. Uh, one of the things that we don't realize today because we have lights everywhere is that before the advent of gas electricity or gas lights or electric lights, much of life was lived in darkness. So people, it's no wonder they got up at five o'clock in the morning and went to bed at seven o'clock because they lived in the light because you couldn't do a whole lot in the darkness. In 1920s, there was a artist by the name, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him before, but his name was Norman Rockwell. He was hired by General Electric. Anybody heard of General Electric? He was hired by General Electric to come and to do a series of advertisements 
to, to really promote this idea of living life in the light. And he and a couple other artists were, were hired and they did these beautiful paintings talking about how much better life is in the light than it is in the darkness. Some of these you may remember or, or have seen before. Some of these pictures, let's look at just a couple of them. The first one is, uh, this is the only one he painted during the series that was outdoors. But the whole purpose, you see how inviting and how warm and how, uh, how safe this looks to be for this group of people uh, who are, I like the hat, by the way. If you have those, get, why don't you give me one? Um, and how they were invited into that house. Here's another one that I thought was great by Norman Rockwell. You can't really see it, but in this picture, the dad has just walked in. He dropped his cane and his bag and he ran to his wife. It looks like they're embracing and about to kiss when all of the sudden, Junior turns on the light and, oh, hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Why aren't you in bed? And why do you have the dog? Those questions I ask. But in times gone by, you might have an oil lamp or a candle. And how much light illuminates how much darkness when the light is so little? Not a lot. But there's just something about light that draws our eyes. How many of you sleep with your lights on still today? My mother-in-law, I think, still sleeps with her lights on. She likes it. That way, if she wakes up, she knows where everything is. Um, there's something safe about lights in our life. Um, but the darkness, on the other hand, has a way of drawing out our fears. Anybody remember when you were about six years old, believing that as you were asleep at night, that there was a monster under your bed or in the closet might've just been your sibling, but you thought it was a monster or how many of you'd been walking as a little kid through the darkness of the night when an unexpected noise startles you and the hair on your arms and the back of your neck stand on in because what you can't see. In the darkness. In the darkness, there is nothing visible. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what to be afraid of. Our minds begin to imagine all kinds of things in the darkness. And it's no wonder that as children and even as adults, some of us are scared of the dark. Because we know statistically that bad things tend to happen in the dark. Uh, my mom used to say to me, if mom, if you're watching, hi, how are you doing? Glad that you're here today uh, in Indiana where it's like 20 degrees. Uh, but how many of you or said to your children or your parents said to, to you, uh, your parents said to you, nothing good happens after, after midnight. Some of you are dark. I'm thinking that you were alive in the 1920s. Right? Nothing good happens after midnight. My mom used to say that to me all the time. Make sure you're home by 10 o'clock. I said, Mom, that's not midnight. But she said, I'm just giving you a little bit of cushion. In 2019, a study was done of 10 major cities that tried to figure out when crimes were committed across 10 major cities, like I said. Uh, what they discovered is most nonviolent crimes took place between 7 a.m. and 6.59 p.m. However... More serious crimes like murder, rape, sexual assault, and robbery happened between 7 p.m. 
and 6.59 a.m. The exception was on the weekends when the majority of all kinds of crime take place. Now, that makes sense, right? In fact, we are shocked today. If somebody does something so brazenly in the daylight, we say, I can't believe they did that in broad daylight. I don't even know what that word means, broad. But if you're looking for a definition, broad daylight means during the day when Everyone can see because we don't do crimes where everyone can see or we at least we didn't used to. Those crimes took place at night. No wonder kids are so afraid of the dark. I heard a story. It's probably a true story about a little boy in the 1900s. It might have been my great grandpa's age or so. And um, it was dark out. They had their their coal oil lamp burning. And um, his mom said, uh, I want you to go get the broom that's on the, the porch so I can sweep the floors. And he said, well, I, I don't want to go out there. And they said, why? And his mother said, why? And he said, because it's dark out there. And the mother looked at her little son, probably seven or eight, and said, you know what? You don't have to worry, son, because Jesus is out there. He'll go with you. He'll take care of you. And the son said, really? Jesus is out there? said, absolutely, Jesus is out there. Jesus is going to go with you. He's with you wherever you go. The boy said, wow. Are you sure Jesus is out there? Sweetheart, I'm sure Jesus is out there. Just go get me the broom and bring it back so I can sweep the floor. He said, okay. So he opened the door to the porch. He peered into the darkness and he said, Jesus, if you're out there, would you hand me the broom? So friends, what is the purpose of light? To illuminate, to push away the darkness. Now the Bible often talks about the evil done in the dark versus the hope that is found in the light. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to us, he says, For once you were full of... Once you were full of... But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the... For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you. You know what light does? Light through Jesus Christ brings life, right? Light through Jesus Christ brings resurrection. Light from Jesus Christ brings renewal. Light from Jesus Christ brings second chances and second opportunities. And no matter how far away you've gone or what the deeds you've done in the past, the light of Jesus offers you hope today. If it can rise a person who is dead in their sins to life, it can raise you from whatever whatever situation you find you're in today. Do you believe that? Because the light of Jesus pushes away the darkness. The light of Jesus is life come alive from the, coming alive from the dead. So let's look at our, our text today just for a second. Second Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to turn your Bibles with me or your mobile devices, or as Joe loves to say, your scrolls. And uh, I love that. Some of you have scrolls. So Second Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5 first. You ready? You ready to get in the Lord's Word? All right, here we go. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil... 
It is hidden from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are the servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, Joe says this every week and I love this. You never take the word of any preacher that you hear. Not here, not on television, not at another church, not on a street corner. You check it with the word of God. We are not the the savior. The savior is found in the scripture. And so you check truth. You make sure the Bible is is being correctly and, and truthfully taught. You don't follow anyone else. If the preacher's name is around the church more than Jesus' name, there's a problem. So what's all this veil talk that he's talking about? Anybody know what a veil is? Anybody know what a, ladies, you know what a veil is? How many of you had veils on your wedding day? I did too. I was hoping my wife wouldn't see me so I could convince her to marry me. In this case, what Paul is saying at the the first verse of chapter two, verse four says, therefore, as you begin this chapter, and my grandpa used to say, anytime you read therefore in scripture, you have to ask a question. What's it there for? What he's discussing in chapter four, verses three through five goes back to chapter three in a discussion that Paul is having about Moses. Now, remember when Paul is writing this, he's not writing in chapters and verses. We added those chapters and verses so that we could have points of reference. What he's talking about is he's, he's writing a letter, a free flowing letter to, to a church people and to a group of people that he loves and he's sharing with them. So when he's in chapter three, he's talking about, uh, He's reminding them that Moses encountered the living God on Mount Sinai. You remember that story? Jesus goes up on Mount Sinai after the Exodus. He goes up. God gives him 15 commandments. He comes down, sees that they're worshiping a golden calf. He throws him down. He goes back up again and he only brings back 10. Okay, that's not true. Call the preacher out. Ten commandments, right? He comes back after he throws them on the ground. He brings ten commandments down. But he spends an extended period with God on the mountaintop where there was rumbling and lightning and crashing of thunder. And when Moses returns, there is the light from the reflection of the glory of God that is shining in him so much to the point where they are afraid of the glow, the glory that is shining from his face. And they say, please, Moses, wear a veil so we can't see the light of glory that is reflected. Reflected in your face. And so Moses puts on a veil so they won't be terrified. And by the way, so that they won't know when it begins to diminish because he doesn't want people to think that he's not cool Jesus anymore. Or I mean God anymore, right? But what is the truth that that Paul is talking about? He's talking about Jesus is the Messiah. What is it shining behind the veil? The light of the glory of God. The truth of Jesus. And friends, listen. Satan has kept them in the dark so that they don't understand. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 3. That the veil has has ceased to allow people to understand the, the light of righteousness or the living right with God. But here's the deal, friends. Light is not scared of darkness. In fact, darkness flees from the presence of light. You know who Chuck Norris is? Chuck Norris reminds me of myself when my younger days, he was like in the 1980s and seventies, this judo master who would go in and save people from prison camps. And he had like a M60 and he was like Roger really is who he was. But 
Here's the deal. Chuck Norris is a follower of Jesus. Did you know that? And he goes to Shepherd of the Hills Church in California, which is one of our sister churches. And uh, he reflects the light of Jesus wherever he goes. Here's the thing, though, that most people don't know. Chuck Norris sleeps with the lights on. Not because he's scared of the darkness, but because the darkness is scared of Chuck Norris. Okay, a little joke. So, but here's the real deal, though, friends. Darkness flees from light. You bring a light into a dark room, guess what? The darkness is going to retreat because the darkness cannot stand the presence of light. Paul knows a little bit something about light and darkness, doesn't he? Acts chapter 26, Paul's accounting to King Agrippa um, his story. King Agrippa is an official that God allowed him to speak and tell the good news about Jesus Christ to. Um, I don't know why he was named Agrippa. I think that he had trouble with anxiety. That's why people were always, dude, just get a grip uh, on this. Uh, so, but Paul is sharing with him his story and he's telling him all the things that have happened and how he went from a zealous persecutor of Christians to a redeemed, reformed preacher of the good news of Jesus, how he was willing to face all kinds of things for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Agrippa wants to know what's going on. And so Paul tells him the story and he tells him the story about riding on his donkey or a horse or whatever he was on. And the intense light, he had a murderous intent it, it, to destroy Christians in Damascus and imprison them and separate families the way that he had done in Jerusalem. And he's riding his donkey and all of the sudden a bright light shines. And in that bright light, he sees the glory of Jesus Christ and he's knocked off his donkey. But King James says it differently. And he encounters the light of Jesus for the first time in his life. And he will never walk in darkness again. And Paul's saying to us today, that we are not to hide the light behind the veil, but to share it with a world lost in darkness. It's time to remove the veil so the light in your life can shine to your neighbors and your children and your grandchildren and your parents and the people at Walmart and Kroger's and Publix and Target and Walmart and Home Depot and Lowe's and in the marketplace and in the schools of our kids and on the ball fields and in the horizons and when we get together for golf outings and when we go together for seniors breakfast and when we go and, and we spend time together, let's remove the veil so that light can push back the darkness. And people can see the light of who Jesus is. We used to sing a church in junior, a song in junior church. Anybody ever grow up in junior church? Okay, two of you, great. I'm glad that you were here. So we used to sing this song. My mama taught me. I sang it to my wife and she said that I sing it wrong. So you're going to have to help me because apparently I've forgotten the words or something. I don't know. So it, it goes like this. But you have to hold up your finger like this. Hold up your thumb first. My dad always says this to me. Everybody repeat after me. I am somebody. Good. Hold on to that. Keep that with you. Now hold up your finger. We're going to sing this song and it goes like this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Am I singing this right? You guys sing it. Shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Okay, here's the deal, friends. We teach our children this song. 
because we want them to understand light. But we ourselves have allowed the light of Jesus to diminish in our witness because of the veil we've put over the glory of Jesus. If there's ever been a time in our culture, in our life, in the history of the United States, isn't this a time where the light of Jesus needs to shine the brightest? And you have this treasure in fragile clay pots that you carry with you because you are a messenger of light. The problem is, is that we don't think it's our responsibility to be the light. Uh, my wife taught AP psychology at a Christian school when we were in Jacksonville. And she always has these, she's really interesting. I'm, I'm really grateful that somehow I convinced her to marry me, even though I fired her her first day on her job. But she's just a smart cookie. I wait, I'm married way out of my league. Uh, how many of you wives think your husband married out of their league too? We got to get an Amen. One day she's talking to me about the bystander effect. Have you ever heard of the bystander effect? It's this term in psychology. And what it means is the more people present, the less likely you are to step forward or do something. Let me give you some examples. April 18, 2010. Hugo Alfredo Tail Yaks was in Queens, New York. He saw a mugger attacking a woman. He stepped in to try and help. The mugger took out a, a, a dagger and stabbed him multiple times. He fell to the floor bleeding, his lifeblood leaving his body. Within one minute of that happening, people began to walk by. Nobody stopped to help. One hour and 20 minutes later... 25 people had walked by before someone called 911. Horrible incident, but it's not isolated. May 30th, 2008, Angel Torres, a 78-year-old man, was hit by a car while crossing the street. Ten cars drove by as Mr. Torres lay bleeding in the middle of the road before anyone stopped to help. Two days ago in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a woman was riding a subway when she was raped in the car of the subway with other people in there and no one called 911. Here's the thing. There are people in our lives, family members, neighbors, friends, people we don't like. Who don't know Jesus. And their life is filled with darkness. And it's filled with despair. And it's filled with hopelessness. And it's filled with anger. And it's filled with bitterness. And the person that God has called to take the light to them is you. The question is. Are you going to let your light shine? Does it matter enough to you? Or are you content believing that, listen, the less people that go to heaven, the bigger my mansion's going to be, so let me just rock out my digs. I got news for you. There's no cap limit to the number of people that God wants to welcome into his kingdom. We misinterpret Revelation when it says that there's only 144,000. Well, guess what? If there's only 144,000 going to heaven, 
then the limit's already been reached and you're in tough luck. Jesus came so that all men and women and children might be saved. So what are you doing? Does God need to knock you off your donkey for you to take action? Listen, my grandpa was 80 years old when he decided to start a new church because there were several old folks in his community that didn't have a church. If my grandpa has the energy and the passion at 80 years old to start a church, then so do you to get a church thriving and people coming and people's lives changed. There is no hope for divorce. There's no hope for addiction. There is no hope for abuse. There is no hope for murder. There is no hope for alcoholism. There is no hope for narcissism. There is no help for, you can go down the list without Jesus Christ. There is no cure. There is no help. There is no pulling us out of the darkness without the light of Jesus. And friends, you carry these treasure in jars of clay that wants to be exposed to the universe and the multiverse because Jesus wants to shine brightly in the lives of lost people through the lives of redeemed people. So right here, will you do this today? Instead of walking by the person who is soaking their shirt or blouse or dress in tears or the person who seems embittered because they're alone. Are you willing to step into their life? How many can you invite by next week? Because guess what? You may not feel like you have the words to say, and I don't have the words to say, but Jesus does something when his word is shared. So let's rock it out. I think that's what the Hebrew says, rock it out. I don't know. Because God is alive. The darkness is scared of light. And you have this treasure in jars of clay. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your love and your grace. I thank you for my friends that are here today. Lord, help us to be spurred on. Help us not to forget. Help us not to regret. Help us not to live in our past and dwell in, in the sewage of our past behaviors. But God, help us to gain strength from knowing that we are saved by grace. That our past is our past because you have given us a future. Lord, help us to live and believe that we are carrying the light of your son wherever we go. So God, help us not to be dismayed by the enemy or believe his lies when he says that you're not good enough to share this. God, would you just, just excite us? Would you infuse us with passion would you help us to have a confidence that can only be borne by the son of god living inside of us through the holy spirit we pray lord that you would help us not be silent but that we would be bold carriers of your light it's in jesus name we pray amen